Hello and welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock. For all the advances that have been made in it, drug discovery is still a hit or miss process as much an art as a science. But new technologies are changing that, allowing companies to approach the process with a more precise eye. My guest today is Jason Park, CEO of Empress Therapeutics, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his company's novel approach to small molecule drug discovery. Welcome to the show, Jason. Jonah, thank you for having me on. So first of all, just tell me a little bit about yourself um, and and about Empress. I mean, I want to get into what you guys do, but I know that your your background is is much bigger than this company, and, and you also have a little bit of, of background in the investing side. So I'd love to just hear a little bit about you first. Absolutely. So I started, uh, actually, the very first biotech that I was in, Jonah, was, was about 2005, I think. Um, I was working on nanoparticle drug delivery uh, technologies. And the idea at the time actually was to use these biodegradable nanoparticles to better deliver existing uh, small molecule drugs like chemotherapeutics. And I was initially intending to go to medical school. I just love the idea that you could invent a technology that could go help hundreds or thousands, um, maybe even more and that you could actually have that sort of impact and i went back got my phd and and never really looked back so tell me about empress therapeutics how did did you end up here and and what's the what's the pitch here what's the kind of novel work that you guys are doing what empress is seeking to do is take small molecules you know one of the most versatile longest used classes of medicines that we have and try to make their discovery a lot more predictable, a lot faster, and actually create reasons to believe in a higher success rate, ultimately. And the way we're doing that is by applying genetics to chemistry for the first time and looking for chemistry that, in fact, is encoded in genes. And therefore, you have all the deterministic programmable benefits that underlie biologic drugs with their basis in genetic codes applying to chemistry now for the first time. And why is this something that's that's taken so long to, to do? I mean, why why doesn't everyone approach drug discovery this way? Uh, that's, a, you know, Jonah, that's a great question because I think we're actually, we're trying to do something unique and a little bit different from the way we've traditionally thought of small molecules in chemistry. So, if you sort of go back to the the start of the pharmaceutical era, uh, we actually started with small molecules, with chemistry that we found out in nature that we know, you know, impacts the human body. Um, actually, you can find Neanderthals with willow bark, you know, the, where, where we get salicylic acid, aspirin from, embedded in their teeth. So, as humans, we've long known that there's chemistry out in the world that you can go find, and it can drive health or treat diseases, and Largely, the discovery of those compounds is serendipitous. You know, when we first went and started collecting chemistry from out in the world, um, what changed, you know, one of the things that really changed actually was the same thing that led to biologic drugs, this concept of genetics. Once we sequenced the human genome, researchers could then go out and look for experiments in nature, you know, genetic uh, variants in proteins that were associated with disease phenotypes. And once we knew that, that gave us a really powerful tool to look for biologic targets. And that led to the birth, or was, it was around the same time that we started understanding that you could really design chemistry against the particular structures of proteins. 
And what we've seen since then, including now with the AI technologies, is the ability to take ever larger numbers of chemical compounds, screen them against targets, again, ideally defined by genetics, um, as having a causal role in health or disease. And then we then we try and take those compounds and test them for safety and take them into the clinic and et cetera. Um, what Empress is doing, we think is maybe actually the most important chemistries themselves are encoded in genes themselves. And what I mean by that is there's there are proteins, enzymes. What they do are they catalyze chemical reactions. So if you can believe that first principle, that enzymes can make chemical reactions, then you could actually go back and start to realize that there are probably groups of enzymes that work together to make particular compounds. And if you can predict that with some predictability or with some fidelity, that means all of a sudden you can now scan genetic data the same way that we used to scan genetic data for proteins. We can scan genetic data for groups of enzymes that work together to make a chemical compound, or you can just look at DNA and get the chemical compounds. Um, that really wasn't possible until you had some advances in data, advances in our techniques, computational techniques to read genetic data and other technologies to allow you to even just access the chemistry that's in the DNA. So AI is a part of this, or at least uh, big data and, and, and computing. But is, is that, I mean, it, it very much feels like that's just a tool, um, an important tool, but an enabling tool. But you guys wouldn't style yourself like an AI drug discovery company. Yeah, I think we, we consider AIs just a tool like synthetic biology is a tool or mass spectrometry is a tool. Actually, if I can speak to that a little, I mean, I, I think we see AI being used in a, in a couple of different ways. Um, one is to actually design chemical compounds in silico. The other is to interpret and digest data. I mean, if you think of ChatGPT and these large language models, what they're doing is they're just taking human language and transforming it into a new meaning, into words, into uh, understanding the grammar of how to put together words into a sentence that makes sense. And that's that's how we use AI at Empress. We use uh, techniques to effectively treat genetic sequence data like a language and make that transformation from you know the quaternary code of life into a binary code of data into predictions of actual chemistry. And so I think we could consider ourselves AI enabled not an AI company per se. So what's the business model? I know that there has been a lot of talk about sort of you've, when you've got a great new approach to drug discovery, do you try to license and, and sell that approach and help other people discover drugs? Or do you take it and, and say, okay, we're going to discover good drugs and then we're going to develop them. And, and I've heard a lot of kind of pros and cons both ways. Um, what, what's your approach there? How do you take, you know, kind of, this area that you're innovating in and make the most of it for, for the industry and for yourselves. Yeah. I, I mean, as an industry, Jonah, I mean, our goal is to make medicines, you know, transformative medicines that, that uh, help patients who are waiting and needing. And so I think we view ourselves from a business model perspective as having the, the opportunity to have the best of both worlds because the approach has proven to be so fast and predictable. I mean, we generated 15 compounds that look like advanced drug leads uh, in about 12 months with a 
very small team of folks. So that is, it's faster, more predictable, and more cost efficient than historically has been possible. We think that gives us the optionality to do both. Uh, there are programs where we are well positioned to take forward ourselves. Um, and then there are other programs. Actually, one way to accelerate the delivery of medicines is to work with uh, a number of other companies, number of other potential partners. No one company can be the master of every single disease, uh, know all the biology, know all the risks, know how to develop the drug uh, and get those, those drugs to patients. So we view biopharma partnering, partnering with larger companies as an avenue in which we could actually accelerate uh, because our rate limiting step really isn't discovering the chemistry or generating potential drugs. It's actually going to be um, the same thing that limits so many companies is developing a drug in the clinic uh, is is usually quite an expensive proposition. Expensive and slow. (laughs) In some cases, slow, yes. So... This is, it feels like a good place to mention because you're talking about new ecosystem and partnership, your role, your kind of other role with flagship pioneering. Um, Tell me a little, tell us a little bit in case folks don't know um, what that is, um, because it's a little more than just an, just an investing group. Um, And, and how has that kind of helped, helped you guys um, to, to build this company kind of effectively? So Jonah, I joined flagship uh, pioneering about nine years ago. And part of the reason I joined was I had never seen an institution like it. You know, I've worked in academia, I've worked in with major pharmaceutical companies, I've worked as a consultant, I've worked in starting my own companies. And I saw flagship as sort of this unique place that uh, took the best of all those worlds. And, and the way I describe it, actually, maybe the easiest way for people to understand is flagship itself is structured like a biotech. You know, and it has its own R&D group. In fact, it's, it's got its own labs and its own scientific staff. The difference is in most biotechs, your product is a particular asset, a particular potential drug candidate against a set of indications. What flagship is creating is what comes out of its R&D engine are platforms, the basis for uh, uh, technologies that could generate multiple biotech or pharmaceutical products themselves. And those platforms end up getting spun out as companies. Got it. And is that how Empress Therapeutics started? Or Yeah, that's right. Uh, maybe six or seven years ago, uh, myself, uh, a group of other folks at Flagship, um, including our chief innovation officer, Sabrina Yang, including Flagship general managing partner, Doug Cole, really asked this question of, um, if you look at so many companies that came out of Flagship, Moderna is an example, uh, a lot of those companies were based around at the end of the day, leveraging evolution and genetics. mRNA is one step removed from DNA. And that gives you the programmability. It gives you that deterministic ability to very quickly generate multiple products, as we saw with the COVID-19 vaccine. We started asking, what if you could do the same thing for chemistry? And really, that's where it started. There was some academic work that suggested that this might now be possible. Obviously, we've known for decades as an industry that certain really important compounds are synthesized in nature, and you could find the clues for that in DNA. Uh, The real question was, why now? Can you actually do this at scale? And if you can, if you can build the technology, where's the data and where is the best place to apply it? And it took us a few years to really convince ourselves that that could be done, which then led to the company being founded in 2020 
um, in the first set of experiments in the lab to really prove it out. And really over you know one or two years, we built out the platform. We industrialized it last year, allowed us to recruit very experienced drug hunters and developers like Murray McKinnon, our chief scientific officer, who helped contribute to multiple blockbuster drugs, uh, because now we know the platform works. And now it's about turning the crank and producing medicines and making the right choices as to what to develop, what to partner around. Talk to me a little bit about what some of the outputs have been. What are some of the kind of more exciting drugs that you've, you've or not drugs, but candidates, possibilities that you've produced through this? And, and what do the next steps for those look like? Absolutely. Uh, so some of our initial focus has been in immune and inflammatory diseases, perhaps not surprising if you look at uh, our chief scientific officer and some of the staff uh, at Empress. And what's really exciting is we found compounds that are potent and selective and made by microbes. Actually, one thing that we maybe perhaps haven't really talked a lot about is where do we choose to apply this technology platform? Looking at chemistry encoded in DNA. One of the first places we looked, Jonah, was at the microbes that are in and on side, you know, on the human body. Um, the reason for that is you've got 10 trillion microbes. You've got a hundred, couple hundred million microbial genes uh, that we think of as non-human, but they're actually inside and on us. They're, they're conserved, they're co-evolved, they're part of human biology. And, you know, a lot of people refer to it as the, as the human microbiome. We know it's an important part of biology. It's just that nobody's really been able to show systematically that you can find drug-like chemistry, even though we know microbes are really good medicinal chemists. Um, so that's one of the first places we looked, and it makes a lot of sense that there is a ton of interaction between those chemistries and our immune system. And we found some novel compounds that are potent and selective that look like they could treat a whole range of immune and inflammatory diseases. Um, if you look outside of immunology, uh, we know that, uh, for example, cancers, there's a number of cancers, some of the fastest growing cancers in developed nations are along our digestive tract. And we think of cancer historically as a genetically driven disease. Well, if you look at the human genome, um, this, this rapid recent rise, especially amongst younger people, um, the younger populations under 50, you can't really explain it with the human genetics alone. In fact, it actually, we think, and quite a lot of others now are, are, are thinking this as well, we think that some of the answers to what's going on in there is in this metagenome, all these other non-human genes that are nonetheless part of our biology. So we think we can make some pretty large leaps in that domain as well. And those are those are two huge areas of unmet need. Um, and I'll, I'll remind you, we're still only a team of about 40. So you do have to kind of pick and choose where you're starting here. Absolutely. And that's really interesting. You know, I... I feel like this year at JPM, I heard a little more about the microbiome than I was expecting to. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I remember hearing about microbiome a few years ago. I, I knew that it was an area of sort of continuing research, but it really does seem like um, a lot of folks are are kind of looking to that for a variety of indications and, and the, looking at the genetics of it. So that's, yeah, very interesting. Absolutely. I mean, we have our first approved product there in that space of biology. Uh, from series therapeutics. And I think, you know, if we just go back to the Empress idea, you know, this, this idea that you can actually use technology to scan genetic data, just DNA sequences, 
and find chemistry, you know, it, that's really powerful because that allows you to make chemistry in a deterministic way and allows you to do it fairly quickly. The question that that you have to solve, actually, you know, if you if you think about other small molecule approaches, at the end of the day, what you're trying to solve for is what is the human relevance of a particular compound? What reason do I have to believe that this compound will be safe and effective in a patient when I give it to them? And one of the reasons we look at the microbiome, even though we can look anywhere you know, with this 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 idea, um, is that it gives you you know, evolution is a powerful force to put at your back. And the fact that these microbes co-evolved alongside with human biology, that the chemistries that they make may have actually been selected for activity inside of humans. And because you know the starting compounds are inside of humans, that gives you some powerful reasons to believe in the fact that you might actually have safer, more effective starting points when you start. Um, that's so that's where we started. And then layer on the fact that the compounds themselves are genetically encoded and ergo you can now look for genetic associations in disease that's another powerful hook um, so I, I i do think that there's a lot to be done in that space yeah another piece of it and i don't know if this impacts what you do at all is the notion that you know we might actually be undermining the the microbes that have evolved to to help us out with antibiotics and and maybe causing some of the diseases that we find are increasing in in uh, in their occurrence. Absolutely. Another thing that we believe in and that has been very powerful in pharmaceutical research is to look for these experiments of nature, where either there were, you know you can look at genetic variants as an experiment of nature, or you can use look at the use of antibiotics as an experiment of nature. And there's tons of clues around us as to the important role that these microbes and the chemistries play in human health. Totally. What about sort of this? So if this approach really works well, um, is it patented? Is it proprietary? Um, or is this a situation where what you're doing is kind of conceptually simple enough that you need to worry about losing, uh, you know, the, the edge of about dis differentiating. Um, one thing I've learned over the years, Jenna, is, is good ideas sometimes seem very simple and obvious in retrospect. Um, and in a way, this, this sort of seems simple. Um, like, oh, you've got microbes that in their DNA are, are you know, instructions for making chemistry. That's a really easy, powerful way to access that chemistry. Um, but nonetheless, you know, it hasn't been done at scale before. Um, we're working with some of the leading academic uh, leaders uh, in this space. Actually, we announced our SAB just last week, and I think some of those names are, are visible on our website. We've been talking to pharmaceutical partners who have tried elements of this over the years. And we know that we figured out uh, some things that others just haven't. And that in itself is incredibly valuable because if you look, if you take a step back and look at the whole thing, um, it's not a single piece. Actually, the entire platform starts with human clinical data, assembling a sufficiently uh, diverse and broad enough set of data that you can actually ask these questions. 
it goes through AI and ML techniques to digest that data, make sense of it, make actual uh, mechanistic hypotheses. It goes to synthetic biology. It goes to mass spec and chemoproteomics and other analytical chemistry tools to identify chemistry and their corresponding molecular targets. And it goes all the way through biological expertise, which assays with disease models. How do you develop, discover, develop a drug? Um, and if you look along that entire platform, we know there are several elements where we are the world's best or have the world's best capabilities. Some of those are protected by IP. Um, at the end of the day, back to your specific question, the most valuable patents will be the patents around transformative medicines that treat large numbers of people. Um, and that's what we're laser focused on. But yes, we've, I, gave you, I realize I just gave you a very long answer. We figured out how to really protect the, pat, uh, the platform and approach. There's a lot of pieces to it. Correct. Yeah, it wouldn't be easy just to sort of pick it up and start doing it. <laughs> In fact, we know that's demonstrably true from the conversations that we've been having with others. Anything we haven't talked about yet, any pieces of the puzzle here or larger trends that you're interested in that you would like to discuss in our last few minutes? I am, I am heartened uh, at the general trend of, uh, and I know last year there was a lot of conversation around the new modalities and we were rightfully so. I mean, they're biologic medicines, whether they're gene therapies, cell therapies, RNA-based therapies, new ways to design therapeutic proteins uh, that are going to solve some enormous problems um, and address some enormous unmet needs. And in some, in some cases, there are things that biologics can do that small molecules simply can't. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, the vast majority of drugs that are still prescribed are small molecules in chemistry. If you take the average patient and ask them to describe an ideal drug, uh, it checks off some of the many versatile aspects of chemistry. You, you can take it orally, it goes everywhere in your body, et cetera. So I, I'm heartened by this trend that there's been a lot of, in a way, small molecules are sexy again. You know, that new ways of generating chemistry to treat disease, um, and we're just one of them. And we think we've got a very unique set of advantages and it's differentiated. But generally this trend of, safe, cost-effective medicines that are easy to distribute, easy to take. Um, I, I'm excited to see the innovation that's taking place in that sphere. Um, you've, you've talked to, to several folks in this area. No, I think so. I mean, I mean, small molecules are not going away. There is a, a tendency, I think, to get excited about the newest thing. But one thing I've noticed is that new things are cropping up very quickly and there's still so much to learn about the older things, you know? <laughs> um, and that's right. I mean, that's like, like at, at JPM, there was a lot of conversation about ADCs and you know, that's sort of those, are, that's been going on for a few years now. So maybe cell therapy looks more exciting, but there's like, they're really still making breakthroughs in that space. So it's, yeah, it's a yes. Absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> there's, there's so many ways to approach um, medicines and Actually, they're all I pretty exciting the way, right now. <laughs> I love the way you just phrased that, Jonah, which is um, take a look at what's happening with uh, uh, generative AI and proteins. Um, you can take technologies, new technologies, apply them to something that we know gives benefit and take it on a whole new trajectory altogether. 
Um, and I think maybe that's, maybe that's one way to think about what we're doing. One last question that I like to ask everybody, um, because I have you know, listeners on this show are generally they're, they're pharma insiders. Um, they're, they're folks who work various kinds of farmers and biotechs at various levels. Um, so I, I like to give people the opportunity to share, share some advice um, <laughs> about working in this space. You know, what have you learned? What, what do you hope that, you know, other people will will learn or, or will you know, know about, I mean, specifically, you know, drug discovery, but, but more broadly about this, uh, this pharma biotech space we, we work in? There's a couple things, I think. One is transformative impact. You know, why would you expect something... Uh, transformative or unreasonable, uh, if you want to use that word, from an approach that would be reasonable, you know, so one that is sort of obvious and makes sense at the get-go um, or looks very feasible at the get-go. My learning has been, you know, you, it can deliver benefit. I, absolutely. And that's really where I started my career is taking engineering principles and applying it to things that we already knew that work um, and trying to improve upon them. Um, and so many great medicines come from that, that, that line of thinking. One of the things I've learned is the amount of effort and difficulty it, it takes to overcome the challenges associated with that might be the same, actually, or might even be more than taking something that's completely unknown and uncertain. And the reason for that is if you do something that you think is potentially transformative, but there's no real way to assess what the risk of that is. You can lay out all the questions and say, these are all the reasons why this approach might fail. And but if nobody has the answers to them, then you actually just don't know. I mean, the risk could be very low. It could turn out to be very easy, in which case now you've done something great um, at lower risk than doing uh, something that's a little bit more obvious. So it's just another way of saying big ideas are worth trying. And the key is, can you be disciplined enough to ask the questions as to, how do you know it's working along the way? And that's one of the things I really learned at Flexion, you know, how to ask big questions and how to be disciplined about figuring out, not solving for the risk necessarily, but identifying where the risk is in a completely uncertain path. And, you know, it's one of the things I applied to numbers. You know, at the start, it seemed, and I'm, I'm my colleagues, it seemed, actually, we, we were told by a number of folks, it is impossible. It's hard enough to predict proteins from DNA sequence um, in a systematic way and generate therapeutic proteins um, and to, uh, to take it the next step and look at chemistry produced by proteins. There's so many things that need to happen. Nonetheless, we were convinced that you could do that and over just a period of a few years, took that risk off. So overarching lesson, go, go do the hard things because they're always worth doing perfect note to end on. Thank you so much, Jason. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. And um, I hope folks enjoyed learning a little bit about the work that you're doing at Empress Therapeutics. Jonah, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website, where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins, and to follow us on Twitter at at PharmaForum. Thanks for listening.